0: Welcome to Effectively, a podcast mini-series exploring the intersection between self-organizing and emotions. Emotions. They are there all the time, everywhere, and yet, we know so little about them. Self-organizing. What happens when we move from traditional power over to power with structures and cultures? Join me in these conversations with practitioners and researchers to better understand other possibilities of working and relating together. I hope you enjoy the Effectively mini series hosted within the How, a podcast by Greater Than. Hello, welcome to this new episode of the mini-series podcast on self-organizing and effects. And today I have my colleague Elena Denaro with me. And Elena is a partner at Greater Than, the collective I'm also a part of and that I have been researching for, for my PhD. And Elena will Help us, or we'll engage in a conversation to unpack some of the things that have come up, and we'll have a discussion on some of them. And I hope this is helpful for many other networks and collectives. But first of all, Elena, if you want to introduce yourself a little bit, share a few words about you.
1: What nice took you, you here to this journey?
0: Um,
1: yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, Hi. Uh, where to start? I'm really excited that you're doing this podcast, Alicia, because my entry into the world of decentralized and self-organizing uh, also started for me from academic research. Um, I had done a master's in sustainable development and had got really interested in peer-to-peer networks and sharing economy, collaborative economy things, uh, which led me to a PhD in sociology to research collaborative economy models. And through that, I actually had already known about WeShare, but through that, I deepened my relationship with WeShare, which is one of the networks that um, led to the birth of greater than through relational relational fields. And um, I did an ethnographic case study about a year and a half, deeply in, involved in the WeShare network, um, researching their visions of the future and how that was co-produced with The practices that they were experimenting with of which decentralized governance and self-organizing was um really 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 big component and so research is really important to me um as well as the topics um I then never ended up finishing my PhD um I struggled quite a lot with burnout and Realized that 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 dynamic of being the kind of separate researcher, even in a very participatory um, and ethnographic approach, still felt really detached for me. And um, eventually, took a few years of doing some wonders of other things, and but my heart was was still in these topics, and so and the relationships that I had built had had already been pretty strong foundations, and so uh, once my mental health and um I guess confidence as well you'd say started to build back up um and I gave myself the license to to pursue working in the things that really mattered to me uh by this point greater than had already been founded and so Fran and Susan and a few others were kind of calling me in and eventually I took the plunge and that was in 2019 um and it's been a a joy and a privilege to be in really experiential learning with this, with this group of people around how to build and deepen these practices. Um, But I remember the day when you told me you were going to do a PhD and I was so excited because I was like, I still really believe in the importance and the value of doing this research. It's just wasn't necessarily the place that I was meant to be in.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Elena. Yeah. It's so great uh, that you agreed to this podcast because exactly you bring all of these experience from both the research field in which I have you're much more, yes, like uh, you're very um, accurate with the nuances and understanding that you have a very solid uh, base there and also your long-term experience with networks and collectives. So yeah, excited to dive into this with you.
1: So yeah. Speaking of which, um, maybe you can, I know this is a conversation, but I would love to hear a little bit more about that origin story why why did you want to do this research what is the heart of this research for you and what really have you been finding mm.
0: yeah um so the motivation for this research was me wanting to better understand what was going on in the practice i'm a practitioner at heart i do believe research is important these moments of reflection that i get by by doing this phd but it was for us And then also when we work with partners, how we approach decentralization or self-organizing that we use, you know, like these different models in which we have pieces like decision-making and vision or purpose or whatever. So we have these different areas. Mm. And for me, it was always, you know, the most important thing for self-organizing, even all of this is super important. If you don't have it, I don't think you get uh, to make it work. But it's like the most important thing was Kind of like going through the cracks of those things, which were the relationships that we had, the emotions um, that we have as human beings and that we have collectively. And then I thought, wow, um, yeah, I really need to look into this because I feel very cold. And I think that the reason why it's so important to me is because there was a time I didn't see myself as a very emotional uh, being was more like oh, you know I'm like cold and distant and all of that <laughs> like some uh, massive bullshit and <laughs> uh, and I think that what I'm looking for is um like a healthier relationship with emotions also understanding why they are useful and necessary and just a core part of us also helps me you know just be with them and and yeah I have seen like how much further relationships can go, obviously. Well, we have the whole Brene Brown vulnerability um, stories there. But yeah, I think it has to do with um, with this motivation of understanding I'm, I'm working with self-organizing, but I'm, and I have some tools, but there's something missing. And I still don't know exactly how to work with it on a, on a practical level. Maybe that's a, another a question or we do have tools and mechanisms, but. Yeah, I have. It's not something you can work with directly. It's a bit like culture, no. in a way, and so that's why it's it's it, it goes away so easily. It's like it escapes, in a way, and and then this personal uh, motivation. So that's why, that's why I started this, and then I found also some very good research uh, from Benhard Resh who will be in the podcast and who was dealing with these types of collectives and with the topic of relationships so i thought ah you know it's a thing so if it's a thing i'm let's say allowed to look into it and and yeah just see what comes up in in greater than what do we have there in this terms
1: and so what have you well, first of all just really appreciate the like the blending of that personal as well as the theoretical interest in the investigation Um, and I'm just yeah really curious what are the things that you have as you've been inquiring and and also like maybe it's also worth mentioning you haven't just been inquiring on this alone it's really been a a a collective inquiry that you've been guiding us through Um, and I know you've done a lot of one-to-one interviews but we've also had a series of um, collective reflections and sense-making sessions whereby it's I feel like we've been in this inquiry with you and I think that's been really rich in and of itself, just like that process. So yeah, what have been the things that have been the big findings for you so far?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. I haven't mentioned it, uh, that's true. Like uh, it's participatory action research. So it was basically led by what came up from the group. And it also had this goal of supporting us as a collective in talking more about this, bringing it more on the table which we will talk about later i guess that i think it has happened also in a very natural way like it was a sort of very interesting moment in which these sort of topics were starting to be brought to the center and maybe we were very hungry for it so yeah we'll we'll get to that but definitely uh research led uh, by my colleagues but at the same time it's important to say that i'm an individual and all of these are my ways of understanding what i have witnessed and experienced and what has been Said to me, so it's social sciences, but at the end of the day, is an interpretation yeah. of, of all of that. So I'm, yeah, very aware of that, and um, yeah, I can dive into a few of the points that I think were interesting uh, yeah. from, from the practice and the theory. So the first one is from a very practical perspective that I had, as you said, the chance to do one-on-ones with all the members. I think I was missing just like one um to understand where do we stand what is important what's uh how do emotions show up for you what is missing so all of these things but having these sorts of processes i think yeah that i have the feeling i would like to do one more and maybe it would not be on emotions but and on whatever topic or just understand what's important now and That I think that in a collective that is so decentralized as we are and also geographically and we're asynchronously most of the time, having the chance of talking to people one-on-one and then trying to make sense on that is so valuable because we don't have enough spaces where this happens or the time is limited. And then even in the one-on-ones that you have, then you, you don't talk to everyone on that specific thing. So that's something that I'm like, wow, this was very powerful and it gets it's a huge chance to better understand people to better understand the system and through that also build up all of those relationships so for me it's um yeah it's been a massive um learning so yeah something very worthy to invest more time in yeah so that would be the first one um then more into let's say the case study itself so great to what came up for me or what my interpretation is is that we are in greater than we're a collective and we got together to work together so it's different than for example one of as you mentioned uh we share for example which was a network uh, that partially brought us uh, to greater than which was i would say like a much more it was the purpose was not work it was to discover to explore to learn to, to find bodies that um, also want to do things differently. And it was also work, but they, that was not the main part of it. Yeah. So it's very different. In Greater Than, we have decided that we're going to be working together. And that has certain implications. From an emotional perspective, what it seemed is that, let's say the potential richness of emotional expressions might be limited by this mm-hmm. uh, working Um, framing that we have so it's definitely very 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 different than a traditional working space but still it was interesting to see that uh, not everything that everyone wants to bring Mm. is present yeah and then this would bring me I would say to the third point that has to do or it's like maybe it's it's a part uh, of it which are the affective commons which I have uh, briefly uh, described before, but understanding that just briefly the affective commons are that sort of vibe or atmosphere that we create together is our way of being together in our system. And let's say that if we're limited by, let's say, the working emotions or some more emotions that are more oriented towards work and some are out of that spectrum, or ways of showing out, like people saying on a practical level, maybe um, bringing in frustration in the system or I'm angry or whatever else uh, that comes up, um, that then this might affect in the long-term our sustainability potentially. Basically for three elements, two of which I have researched, uh, one of which is a hunch, but I think that could be very interesting. Um, So conflict, for example. So if we are able to be more engaged with emotions and understand that's just a part of being human beings and being and working together, we might be able to do conflict resolution or conflict transformation in a way that works better for us or even be able to do it. So work with conflicts and tensions. And these. Per se increases the possibilities of a collective um, to be sustained through time because that's inevitable, right? We, we're living together or we're working together. We are also this this mix of work and friendships, and conflicts are going to show yeah. up. Interaction like, is normal; and happens. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So that's one thing. Then decision making mm. uh, would be, and in decision making, uh, what comes up in the research is the in for self organizing. It's very important to have this capacity for dissent so being able to disagree with your colleagues or one colleague or however it is and being able to say it because that's when you're self-organized you're influencing the system with everything you do so Mm -hmm. if you really feel that you disagree with something it might be important to show to just speak up and say it Yeah, in some cases, it might be even very, very important. And this brings me to the third point, which I haven't researched, but I think it might be even the most important of them. And I think it's related to decision-making and the capacity for dissent. That is the sense-making capacity that we might have as individuals and in in the collective. Mm -hmm. So if we are together, you, you know, it's like if you're, if we develop more our let's say, emotional landscape, we're able to tune more into ourselves, but more with others as well. And through that, we might be able to sense a lot more. And we use that capacity to understand what's happening in the system and act accordingly. Mm-hmm. If we don't have that well-developed, then our decisions are probably going to be less adequate for whatever situation we are in.
1: So, so it's that's- like the capacity to bring in more it's like a a wider gambit of information right the emotional becomes one of those information sources that's that feeds and supports decision making and yeah, yeah totally exactly
0: and maybe here it would be interesting to talk about the just for a moment the difference between emotions and and effect so just the emotions are the rationalized part of it so it's like we feel something and then we name it this is anger or this is joy or this is whatever But there's something with effect that is this transmission, uh, it's before. So it's like, exactly, we're talking now and I might get goosebumps. That's that's effect before I name what it is. And it happens, especially it's easier if you're in person, of course. And then there is something that builds up. Like you you sense something is there in the room and before you can name it, it's already there. So if we could tune into that more, yeah, what are the, you know, the, the massive information that that could, could give us as a
1: group. Yeah. yeah. Ego stops.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll leave it at those three by now. There are a couple more things, but maybe I don't know if you want to discuss any of those, um, reflect or give any resonance that you might have, or even disagree. Disagreement is very welcome.
1: Yeah. So, do, so, so, I think uh, I'll maybe try and go yeah. one by one just to not miss anything juicy. But I think that um, I couldn't agree more with the fact that there's there's so much value in just taking the time to be in this kind of exploration. Um, we have abundance in so many other ways, but I do think we feel our time scarcity quite a lot in, in Greater Than of like, we are really decentralized, which means our time zone overlaps are quite hard to to navigate. Um, so that time together, both in person or even just synchronously, is feels like it's never enough for what we'd want it to be. <laughs> um, and I think that there is um, this is maybe also something that I'm curious about in your research because I think some of the things that you've you shared with me prior are. Have been like almost like sore spots that people have felt around, like, oh, like we have that we have more rich um emotional landscapes when we're in one-on-one or smaller group conversations rather than in the whole. This kind of differentiator between the whole group versus this the smaller constellations that might emerge within. And I think I have a live inquiry at the moment around does does the whole always have to be whole to count as the whole? Mm-hmm. Like, is there a difference between the whole and all? Um, whereby the whole still exists, even if not every single person is there. And there is so much that is contributed in little pockets that feeds the whole, even if it's not, okay, all of us are in one space and time at the same moment. Um. So yeah, I think that, leaning more on how can we do things in smaller constellations but like rotating is another way for us to navigate that very like real limitation factor of being in very different places with very different time zones and whatnot
0: yeah maybe just to add to that ellen i think that when the sense making you know is is like working properly i think that a small group of people can tackle a topic that i have not been involved in but because they have a similar issue or they have Different perspectives around the same topic, so that's something. It's interesting because I'm reflecting on it uh, quite a bit lately. Also, um, because something that people said in the interviews when I asked what is, you know, what is greater than or whatever, that people say, I don't know what is, what is, you know, <laughs> the whole, the, what is, what is all of it, because I interact with a certain number of people continuously, and with the rest, I have some interactions, but it's like no one is in touch with everyone. All the time and i think that's partially the magic right but also be exhausting if we were involved yeah. with absolutely everything just this morning i was watching like having a look at the conversation on the near stars and like i'm so grateful that you know yeah these okay. are my reflections they are taking care of it i'm taking care of other things so yeah that's a very good point point. Yeah. i think that many people have this thirst for completion, but it's just an illusion. It's just, it never happens. Even if you're together in a room that that's not completion, that doesn't serve it.
1: And and I think what's been helping me is just the reframe of like the whole is there. Even if we're in a smaller group of people, there's, we're still also always interacting with the whole. It's just not in that way of like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's one piece. I'm really curious about this because I think this is one of the areas that maybe I I have some question marks or some, uh Bring curious disagreement ah. <laughs> around this like around this are the work as a limiting factor mm. Um and I guess I'm really curious on it for a couple of reasons one the question that came to me as I was listening to you was um in your time in we share would you say that there was a bigger like would you in contrast feel like there was a bigger gambit of emotional like oh, permission man. I guess because it wasn't so work-related?
0: Mm, definitely not. I think in my reflection was always that in Wisher, it was a, a, a matter of maturity. Uh, it was, mm-hmm. we're not, yeah, sometimes it was hard like to really go into depth and people speak from the eye and, and all of that. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, I think that was definitely, um, but definitely not a- affected by, by work. Mm. But I think that, um, sorry, Coco.
1: Okay, so then I think I'm understanding better what you mean, which is that when, to put it in a really binary simplistic way, mm-hmm. when we are together and we're not in work mode, we we as humans bring in a wider range of emotional experience and we go there more than when we are in quote unquote work mode.
0: Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's a nice nuance. Thank you for bringing that in. Yeah, it's about the mode. Yeah. Um. exactly yeah so what I heard is that we're in a working meeting yeah and you know I'm frustrated best case scenario I'm going to say I am frustrated but you know I'm not showing my frustrations like I have you know like worked on it I have found you know like trying not to show it too <laughs> much like make it you know small and, and then I just tell you that's one thing or I don't tell you because yeah. I might be, I mean, reasons I got, like, I, I might be afraid of you thinking of me that maybe I'm not able to hold this tension or yeah. whatever of these things. So that more in that direction.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think I can understand it better. Um, and I think that what's really, well, there's two things that I find really interesting here. One is like, um these are constant phases of unlearning. Like we've learned so much in so many parts of the world that the way to interact in service of doing and in service of productivity and in service of all the things that we want to from a deep desire of purpose, want to do into the world, um, that like emotions will derail us somehow. I think that messaging has been really, really strong and I'll speak from the eye here. I I know that like it's one of those things where it's like I know I know that not to be true. And yet in the moment, my own fears of oh, I'm gonna be I you said at the beginning, you're not a very you 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 saw yourself for a time as not being in a very emotional person. I've always been a very emotional person. Like I was always a person who my friends made fun of because I would cry very easily. I still do. Um I've not never been very good at uh, not expressing certain emotions. Um but I think the 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 built-up stories of you're going to make this about you, you're going to derail things, you're going to take up loads of space, like that's not productive, are still really loud, even in the context of like, no, you know, this is important. We know this is like, crucial information, crucial pieces of what's what's here. And if we don't tend to it, it will just build. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that the unlearning piece is really huge, huge.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I think that that's also some of the things that sometimes it becomes hard, or like, one of the things that I want to actively push away from, like there's so much in even the self-organizing and self-management space of like, you have to, it's almost like prove that like you can do it perfectly. And I think that like that illusion in and of itself needs to be like batted down with as many things as possible because it's so None, no one is great or perfect at these things. And it's not about that. Um, it's a, about like you know showing up and practicing and a little bit every day learning a little bit more and figuring it out and sometimes you take three steps back and that's also fine but um yeah so the unlearning and the like the courage to just be in practice and learning with each other and then it was also really interesting as I was hearing you because I was like oh I think that I think that this is something that has changed quite a lot. And in in a large part, thanks to you bringing this so explicitly in conversation in, in GT. Um, because I think it's made a lot of us be like, wait, hold on. Like, let's really shine a light and have a look at this and see what, how it's playing out. And if I think of the conversations that I have now compared to a year ago, when you were mostly in the kind of data collection piece of this, it feels quite different to me. Um, and maybe that's also like a, a desire, but like it, it does. Like I,
0: I would agree. I think it's changed a lot. That's why like writing or rewriting the paper is so hard because I'm like talking about <laughs> things from the past. <laughs> like, and that's the beauty of it, right? Like how fast it can go. I think, well, many factors, right? But it seemed it was right for it to happen.
1: Okay. But then here's my challenge, right? Because... <laughs> no. I don't know if the limiting factor is work mm. because we, we haven't stopped working together. We haven't, the fact that we come, that there are impetus to be together is in large part about being on a shared journey of the, the work we want to do in this world. Mm. Um, we haven't stopped having shared projects together. We like, <laughs> and yet things are shifting. Um, so that would be an interesting line of inquiry like what are like is it really just about making it explicit and bringing in like smaller regular practices like I don't know I think there's something about giving license and permission that feels really important here and I think back to it quite often so you guided us Alicia in our gathering in Croatia with our summer last summer um, in this like really fun playful like uh overly expressive um emotional workshop which was about like and one of the moments we literally sat stood in front of each other and screamed in each other's faces (laughs) right and i think that there is something really important about having these kind of like sandbox spaces of like Mm -hmm. going there when you're not even necessarily feeling it right mm-hmm. like i'm not feeling any anger towards this person that i'm screaming at but it's like having those experiences also being in physical space and laughing it off, like having that experience mm-hmm. and also then laughing it off and feeling like cool it's where we we've like gone places and then we've re-regulated back down mm-hmm. i think has an impact on shifting the like l- lived embodied idea of what is possible
0: Yeah, Yeah, for sure, and that touches upon another point, which would be the embodied commons or or all of that. But integrating the body in all of these, like that's even like where effect happens. It's I mean, it's not that it's not a part of the brain also active, but it happens Um, also in the body. Physiologically, yeah, yeah, exactly. It physiologically exactly. Thank you. So you need the body to sense and feel all of that so that's um yeah that's another turn there are many turns here it's even it has a name like affective turn um, or so when people started you know bringing more attention or even acknowledging okay it's not only cognition it's also affect and you cannot separate both of them the the brain is also part of the body so it's both of them working together all the time and that we stop separating that and um, to your to your point, I think that maybe that's an interesting refla- uh, reframing, what you were saying about the unlearning. And if if work is or is not the limiting factor, maybe it's not work itself. It's the inheritance of what work has meant in our society. And how through that hypothetical understanding that I cannot show frustration to you because then you will think less of me, yeah. but that's something that I think we need to and learn together. And I think it's part of this process of saying uh, it started at some point. Can okay, we get that maybe like more explicit permission or whatever? We see, ah, others are doing it. And then it's like, ah, you know, get more into it and practice. I think there's a lot of it. It's practice.
1: <clears throat> it's so, I mean, so much of it is practice. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that there's the other, the, the piece around the embodied, right? Like, I think we're lucky in that we have a couple of humans in our, yes, system who are quite deep practitioners of this, of more embodied practices. And so they've been like, it's like infusing, I think it's like osmosis, like it's been like spreading across the GT system for some time. And I think that, you know, a year ago, even two years ago, this was something that was really present. We were starting to talk about, like a year ago was more than just that, a year ago it was like quite actively in conversation space. Like it was like, cool, yeah, yeah, we know this, this is important. Yeah. um we all know we recognize that we we. but like it makes me think of um was it Edwin Janssen who talks about head heart and habit mm-hmm. The like moving and I think we've been moving through that pattern with this piece around more, more embodied more like bringing in a wider range of senses doing much more embodied practice like it feels less awkward now when like I don't know Uh, it's not just one person who is like a somatic practitioner who brings in um, an embodied practice in the middle of a meeting because something's going on. And it's like, let's just take a moment and ground and center or, you know, feel in connection with each other or um, it's like more and more of us have been doing that. And it's not to me a surprise. I think it's in the last six months, like five or six of us have gone through, again, the trauma-informed collaboration course Mm. and it's like it's also through things like that that we build even again not as a whole not all of us together at the same time but it feeds like many of us doing it in smaller constellations is still really feeding the whole whereby Mm. we're changing our understanding of things we have shared vocabulary like that lexicon a way to talk about and bring in and make space that we all have like more capacity with ourselves and also how to notice and relate to others on that um, that I think is starting to make a really significant change. Mm. Yeah,
0: no, I totally, um, totally agree with that. Like the, that now we have more individuals based on that. And there's a, I think slowly, or what I would like to contribute to is that in the also rational understanding of why that is important, because I think it's also important to build the link. Sometimes you end up in spaces where you're doing things with the body. It's like, well, that's nice, but you know, why are we doing it? And maybe that will not be necessary in the future. But I think that at the beginning, that helps, you know, lean in and just, you know, relax and and, and do it. And I think regarding the, this work mode or this inheritance from uh, work mode, you were pointing out to, I think, what's interesting while we're doing this unlearning or we might need our whole lives to keep unlearning this yes. because it's so <laughs> ingrained in our culture. But I think it's just an awareness thing that, mm-hmm. ah, you know, we're doing this thing. You know, I'm I'm not expressing myself because I'm afraid of blah blah blah. All of this. This is not professional, right? What What does that even mean in our context? Just be aware of it, and um, and then try to do the next uh, next step. And um, and as we were um having this conversation before, I think it's also interesting. Um, while we were preparing, uh, that we said, ah, you know, is this a responsibility of the individual or it's a responsibility of of the system? And I think it comes from both. There there needs to be some work and some practice so that you can do these as an individual, but that the system supports yeah. that as well. And it's not, ah, you have to do it and you have to do it on your own, but it's the understanding why it's important and, and what practices and, and practicing together
1: mm-hmm.
0: that that needs to come from the system as well that we're building.
1: Yeah, totally. I think that it it's like, the, It's it's that, constant thing of one can never happen really fully without the other like the individual needs to take responsibility and do their own piece but the individual will never be able to do it if there isn't a system that is also supporting and creating the condition so it, and and also I mean I, I I love that you your focus is on affect because affect is in the relation right Yeah. none of this stuff happens exactly. not in that relational like in between yeah um
0: yeah, that's the magic. And that's why I love it. Because I also, and you know, some of our cliques are doing coaching, you know, like more like individual things. Mm-hmm. But it's like I think what I love about collectives, networks, and communities is this healing and the capan- potential of growth that happens in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And as you were saying, like affect it doesn't happen when you're alone. It happens in interaction with other mm-hmm. beings. And I think that that's just so magical. Um, yeah that's really beautiful also the potential that it can uh, bring us absolutely
1: so you're talking about potentials and as we were preparing you told me a little bit more about um, someone who's been inspiring your research and Mm -hmm. their work on the role of fantasies yes potential so I would love to hear a little bit more about that side of things
0: yeah um, this would bring us to the next point of let's say the the learnings or hypotheses of things that might be happening at greater than. And this has to do with uh, the research from Bernhard uh, Resch on uh, the, um, he calls them, I I really don't like the name, but it's like the fantasies around affective control. So it's like, I would say, even maybe even affective regulation in a way that might happen in a group. And um, there was something while I was having the interviews that there were this little, let's say, Frustrations or people were expressing, ah, you know, it's like, yes, I mean, greater than is great, and we're doing all of these things. And some people were not able to, you know, bring in the emotions they would like, or not even receive. Some people are also thirsty to receive mm. those emotions as well, and or we even sense that you know something's off, but the other person is not telling us. We so have to guess. So that happens in some cases. But what I saw was that there was this pulling force in what greater than can be in the future let's Mm -hmm. say so this sort of like joint potential in the long term and there are a couple of very specific things around it for example we have this dreamed all the greater lands in which greater Mm -hmm. than owns one or multiple pieces of um, or stewards more than owning like we steward land together Mm -hmm. and you might be physically there or not well that's one one dream that is starting to to cook up. But even if it nowadays we have a, a little prototype, uh that is yeah, exactly, we have a prototype, which is very cool. But <laughs> when we talk about it, I think that we think uh, at least I think about you know the story of the future, yeah. what could happen in a in a GT where I can be in different places and there are these groups of people stewarding that land and getting more into this living together or co-living together or even if it's just in specific chunks of time through the year and it has a very strong pulling force and we could say ah oh, this is a vision uh, but then we also have other elements like for example you were stewarding the solidarity well mm. if you want to talk a little bit about that and explain us. but I see that that's just a starting point as well in my opinion that
1: you know we're aiming for more yeah I mean maybe just for 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 listeners the solidarity well is an initiative that um birthed out of a desire long-standing desire to increase our level of mutualism and, and solidarity and support for each other. Um, but in in very, uh, greater than plays a lot with money. And one of our principles around money is really honoring flow rather than stasis. So often, <clears throat> often mutual support mechanisms tend to be pools where people will pool money together and it will just sit there and stay there for when it might be needed. Um, which is extremely valuable and useful in many cases, but we didn't really want to go down that route. Um, and so instead, what we've it's an it's basically just a formalization of a commitment to each other that we have been making for some time anyway, but a way of expressing it whereby um, when a member is in some form of financial need, which could come from a whole range of different things. Um, that there are concrete ways in which we can mobilize financial resources and other forms of resources in order to support them based on the need that they have that's emerging. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we're guaranteeing anything because it's not about guaranteeing, but it's a or like guaranteeing an outcome it's about guaranteeing that support and the like you have people you can go to who will figure out a plan with you to to find out what is possible to mobilize within the system. Um, and it's really exciting because we're we're now seeing two, maybe three, requests coming in and like the actual like oh my gosh this thing that we've been talking about and dreaming up is one of the big things we were really worried about when we set it up was like people aren't gonna ask because we didn't we and this is I guess same part of the same piece right like I can't the the like the blocks that we have around these stories of I can't ask for help or I can't express my frustration or I can't whatever um the the role of had yeah, like really deepening that relational field deepening the embodied pieces together is I think making a big difference in in cracking that open um and yeah it really warms like it gets me really excited and warms my heart because like that's I think what it means to be th- that's why GT is a collective to me and not a network and not a like we really have this long-term intention of being in life even if not all of life, but in life together in the long haul.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's another key point, this long-term mm. thinking. And I think that I know maybe in a few in a few decades it will be different, but coming where we come from, the culture where we come from, it needs time so that we can develop and learn and the long-term thinking that I think, uh, you know, that we can be. And I think that GT has this capacity of being a very, like a system that can adapt itself when we see, ah, you know, like we really need to work on these things that we actually work on these things and we can change course and work on that. So that we keep having this long-term vision for us. And, um, exactly. And then another one would be, for example, these let's say, uh, fantasies or spaces that go very much, uh, beyond work, uh, would be the space for personal growth mm-hmm. that many of us see greater than as a space where, you know, I grow as a human being and, Um, That's, for example, uh, Ben Hadreich has the spiritual fantasy, which is about personal growth, the entrepreneurial fantasy, which is that anything is is possible, and then also the tribal one, which is the belonging. And I think that it's quite or very accurate with what we can find uh, in GT, and I found very interesting how, even if this inheritance from work is limiting us in a way, that we find other ways to compensate for that and and look for the future and and get excited even it might be frustrated or whatever or i might even be super happy on how emotions show up maybe sometimes but i see the potential mm. and i also leave it right because we have the solidarity well which is working we have the prototype for the greater lands, so it's not just talking like we're really engaging with this work in many different ways
1: so that's super interesting and I I find this framing of fantas of like these three fantasies really interesting and also the role it almost kind of reminds me back of my research of like this that's what I was I was looking at like the mm-hmm. fantasies of the world and how then the practices were were kind of fitting with that or not and then evolving co- kind of co- co-producing the two but I think that um For me, and this might not be the case for all people, but for me, fantasy without any grounding Mm -hmm. gets like it only holds its appeal for so long. Yeah. Um, and I think that, and I think that a lot of us in G T have a similar shared experience, which is why we tend to be like we tend to love being in that big fantasy, futuristic, but also do the really small, micro, pragmatic. Like, okay, right, we're talking about stewarding land and being in physical, you know, we're, we're, uh, I'm also finding it really interesting because we're talking about embodiment, right? And like, we are a disembodied, like from a geographical perspective, we're all over the world. We don't have shared space together very often. And as we've been deepening our embodied practices and our embodied learning and our, like that piece of us has been growing, that's translating into these visions that are wanting more of an embodied piece and i'm Mm -hmm. finding that super like a beautiful mirroring yeah what's happening um but like so there's this big vision of like lands that we're deeply in relationship with and whatnot and you know and then the micro version of it is we're going to spend three but four weeks in in co-living in a house in portugal um which is like because also like <laughs> we're talking about conflicts and frictions, like my gosh, <laughs> there's yeah. a whole other kettle of fish, right? like mm, but going in with this like curious, tender like let's just let's let's throw a couple things in and see what happens and then we'll learn from that and then we'll evolve the fantasy in but I I think this this the power of that fantasy in. holding purpose is really is really I'm, I'm very curious to keep exploring that like what are the roles that these things have for us and how does it keep us together how does it keep us in practice as well like what motivates us to do more practice on other things and it kind of makes me think of that conflict piece that you were talking about from the effective commons one which I would say when I first came into greater than that was probably our biggest learning edge like or the thing that not wasn't even a learning edge, like it was just not something that we knew how to do very well. Um, and I'm not saying we know how to do it well now because it's still, I think, a learning piece. <clears throat> but I do think that I've experienced both in myself and in others, and in, even in conflicts that I haven't been involved in at all, like a much bigger willingness to go there. Um, and repair is, like, one of the most important things, like, it's even in, like, just human relationships, right, like, the thing that's the biggest indicator of whether things, like, a romantic relationship will be a long-lasting one is the capacity to repair, and I think that that's true of just any human relationship, the more you can experience the capacity to repair, like, it allows you to, like, go into so much more place, and I think that so many organizations nowadays do not have that capacity and don't know how to do that in a way that is actually repairing rather than just like patchwork um and i think that you can't do that you can't do meaningful repair without bringing in the full gambit of the emotional experience and the affect in between because that's the thing that needs repairing absolutely
0: what a nice place so leave it at, uh, Eleanor. thank you so much. Um, also that knowing that you have played such a big role in, in building that capacity for conflict and tension. I heard it. Are easy, easy you. Are
1: you? <laughs> so, <laughs> I assure you, I was um, a little anecdote made me to leave. Like I literally was on a call. I was on a, I was on a call with two of my colleagues because I, I reached out for support because there's um, attention I'm tending to at the minute. And I had a, I called them for support and I spent most of the time in tears. I was at an airport, <laughs> uh, but I was like, I know I need to sort this out and I'm struggling to figure it out. I can't see my part in it. um, And my colleagues just held me and helped like, you know, they listened, they helped me parse up a little bit. And then they offered support to be in mediation with me and this person. And like, it's hard. Like that, that's all this stuff hits heavy on my heart, on my body. But the I don't think we would have been able to, I don't think I would have been able to, and I don't think the people that I was in conversation would have been able to do what happened two days ago, had we not been for the last year and a bit really inviting ourselves into much richer spaces on this, on this work. So yay, cry together. <laughs>
0: That's my tip. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yes.
0: <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for this conversation and um, helping me bring out some of the learnings and also reflecting on GT and bringing your own insights and uh, understanding of things. Uh, I think it was super valuable. And even with this, I can rewrite some parts of the paper. So even at that level, uh, that was super helpful. And I said, I think that, yeah, it will also be very helpful for other collectives. And I'm also dreaming already about a part two, more things to discuss.
1: No, thank you, Elisa. And thank you so much for like bringing this work and stewarding it so beautifully and now bringing it out into the the wider world. That's really exciting.
0: Thank you so much. Ciao. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Effectively. If you did, please leave us a review and subscribe to The How, a podcast by Greater Than.